I, I need your attention for a little bit because I got a word for you today. Man, we're in a series. I want to welcome you if you're new to our church. We're a little crazy, we're a little rowdy, but, but we just try to live life and have fun, enjoy God's presence. I don't feel like we need to come to church and be bored. I feel like we ought to come to church and have our life turned upside down. Amen. I hope you can handle this today. I'm just trying to work it out, Byron. I don't know if they can. Y'all need to help me preach this because I, I got a message for you. The series OG is all about Jesus. He is the OG. He's the original. He's the man. He, uh, he's the one. And we're, we're leading up to Easter, just kind of learning of his life. I know this, that if, if you came to church and you're a little suspect of, of Christians, you're suspect of church, you, you've had bad experiences, I, I apologize for that. Um, we are messed up people. But I'm going to tell you one thing. You meet Jesus, it'll change your mind. You meet Jesus, that's all you need. That's all you need. And so let me introduce you to him. We're, we're looking at stories of his life. I'm in Mark chapter 2. I've been in Mark this whole entire series. That wasn't by design. It was by accident. But I just love the way uh, Mark records the events of Jesus' life. And uh, Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Let's read through verse 12 today, if you can handle that much. And... Uh, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll unpack it. It says this, a few days later when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that, that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging. Everybody say digging. We're going to talk about digging today. By digging through it and then lowered the, man, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there who invited them. You know, don't invite them to your party. He said, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Sometimes it's good. Jesus, Jesus knows what you're thinking. Ooh, it's all right. He still loves you. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like it. Could you imagine being in that house? Seeing this man who has been paralyzed get up and walk out. What a crazy, crazy story. You know, Mark tells us that Jesus, when he got to Capernaum, had come home. Now, I don't want you to be confused because last week we preached about Jesus going to his hometown. You remember where Jesus went? Where did he come from? He came from Nazareth. That's really good. And, and so in this situation, Mark says he actually came home. What, what does he mean? Well, well, Jesus grew up in Nazareth, but... His home had been around the Sea of Galilee. That's where he was doing all of his ministry, his miracles, 
and, and even in Capernaum. So Mark tells us that Jesus would stay in Capernaum a lot. So it's like he came home. And he comes home, and whenever Jesus shows up, this is so cool, the house is packed. When Jesus shows up, everybody pours into so much so that the entire house is so full, to capacity, no vacancy, there's no room left. I was, I thought about the irony. When Jesus first showed up on the earth, there was no room for him. When Jesus started into his ministry, there was no room left when people came to Jesus. You know, I have a dream as a pastor, and I think I might be a little crazy and naive, but I just want one day, I just want so many people to come so desperately to church to meet Jesus that you don't show up on time you can't get in because the fire marshal shut it down and every seat's full that's one of my dreams I don't have you clap because most of you are late oh I wouldn't want to be turned away but imagine that feeling like dude capacity like you couldn't get in there and and so these guys come up, and they're, they're a little late to the service. They came in. They thought, ah, oh, it's okay if I miss a little bit of the first song. I don't like them big, fast songs anyways. I like the ballads. I just want to worship, you know. And, and so they show up a little bit late, and they bring their, you know, this guy they're carrying. It says, a group of men brought a paralyzed man. I used to think it was only four of them. And Mark says, that some men brought a paralyzed man, but four of them were carrying him. So I actually kind of thought maybe there was more than four of them. Who knows how many of them they show up. And, and they get to the house where Jesus is and he's ministering. And when they get there, the door is closed. The fire marshal said they've reached maximum occupancy. Like it's closed. You cannot go in there. In fact, there were people crowded outside of it that could not get in the door and that it was closed. And I thought about how, how disappointing it must be to show up there with your friend and, and how the paralyzed guy felt when they show up and there's a closed door. Have you ever in your life gone into a situation where you expected something to happen and then you ran into a closed door? I think we all have. I think there's a level where you, we've walked into situations and believed God for situations and all of a sudden there was a closed door in front of us. And, and I just want to speak to that because I also think that if you've been around the Christian faith long enough, it, it, maybe you're, this is all brand new to you. We're excited that you're here. But if you hang out long enough with Christians, here's what you'll discover. Is that oftentimes Christians will use a door as a metaphor of discerning or discovering God's will. Have you ever heard that? This is how Christians, this is how we talk. You know. Well, I was going to go and do that, but then I got a closed door. This is what we do. And I think it's because... Faith and, and trying to discover God's plan and his will is so, is so confusing at times, if I could be honest. Sometimes I'm not sure, am I going the right direction? I know maybe you feel that way at times. That trying to discern God's will is so complicated that sometimes it's easier for us just to reduce it to, is it an open door or a closed door? If it's an open door, God must be there. If it's a closed door, then God must not be in it. This is what we think sometimes. Right? It's closed door. Oh, no, I guess, I guess God's, I guess God's not in that. I was gonna do this and I was, I was really praying, uh, asking, but no, no door open, so I guess God's not in it. So I guess God, so, so it must be a no. Can I say something to you today? Because I, I don't know if this will mess with your theology or your framework for faith. I don't know if it will do that. But sometimes a closed door doesn't mean no. I, I know, I know, I think sometimes it's a little bit easier. For us in our faith, oh, how's the closed door? I guess God's not in there. They came up on a closed door. The problem is God was on the other side. 
but they ran into a closed door. Sometimes a closed door doesn't mean no. You know, you know when I first learned this? I first learned this when I was 17 years old. I, I, I was working in this job. Um, I don't remember how I got offered into this job, but it, I started working selling junk every day. And I'm serious, it was selling junk. I had this, it was a weird job working for this like company you never heard for out of like a back of a warehouse that every single day, literally, I was 17 years old, I became a door-to-door -door salesman. I would go door-to-door -door in businesses and I would sell junk. And when I mean junk, I, I, I literally mean junk. It's like every day we didn't know what we're selling. Every day we would come to work and it would be like, what fell off the back of a truck somewhere the night before? Wink, wink. I'm serious. I don't know. Like to this day, I'm like, I'm not even sure if that stuff was legit. And, 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 and I didn't know I was 17 years old. And it was a little bit of a pyramid scheme. And, and, uh, and, and so I, I start working there and they trained me to be a, a salesperson. Now here's the thing, I don't know if any of you ever, have any of you do sales, ever do sales? Raise your hand if you ever do sales. Okay, okay, a lot of you do sales. Let me tell you something, if, if, and you already know this if you do sales, right? If you if you're get, want to get into sales and you struggle with rejection or hearing the word no, you will go hungry really fast. And one of the things that they taught me was this, this principle, I think it's more of a perspective, called the law of averages. If you've been in sales, maybe you've heard this before. The law of averages. I, I remember getting taught this. In fact, I, I actually advanced so well. I was so good at selling crap. I could sell big calculators and kitchen utensils. I mean, I could, I could sell ice cream to an Eskimo. I mean, I was really good at it. And, um, and, and so they, they taught us the law of averages. That, that, that basically means this. You have to go through a certain number of doors. In other words, you have to get a certain number of doors closed on you before you find an open door. You have to be able to hear a bunch of no's before you get to a yes. The law of averages would say that you might have to go through 30 doors that shut in your face before you find one yes. You have to add a bunch of no's before you get a yes. Can I just tell you there's something biblical maybe about that when it comes to our faith? Come on, I want to show I'll show you this. You know Moses? Y'all know the story of Moses, right? Moses, this, this guy that God calls and he meets him in a burning bush. God says to Moses, I got a mission for you. I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to confront the king, the Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him, let my people go. And Moses is like, okay, but how, why is he going to listen to me? He says, well, what you got in your hands? I got this stick. He was a shepherd. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it turned into a snake. And God says, see, if I can do that, I can, I can, I can do whatever. And so Moses said, all right. And so Moses goes back to Egypt. And Moses goes to confront the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And as he walks to see the, the king of Egypt, he says, Hey, God sent me on a mission. I've got a message for you. God said to me to tell you to let the Israelites go. They had had them in slave labor. Let them go. Let them just set them free to go and worship me. This is what God said. And, and he said, just so you know, I am coming from God. He took his stick and he threw it on the ground and turned into a snake. The problem was the Pharaoh had these magicians who had voodoo art, you know, practice stuff, and they threw their own uh, staffs on the ground, and they turned into snakes as well. And so the Pharaoh laughed at them. You know what Pharaoh said to him? He said, no. 
Now, it is a good thing for us in our faith today that someone taught Moses the law of averages before he went to Egypt. Because if he had gone to Egypt thinking if God is in it, then it's going to be an open door. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh says, no, you aren't going to have your people. He could have turned around and said, God's not in that. But that's not what he did. He went back. Day after day, he went back. He had to get nine no's before finally he heard a yes. And he said, God said, now you can go. What I'm trying to say is this. I think about these men who go to this house and they get a no because there's a closed door in front of them. But what they had was a tenacity. They had a faith. They had this kind of nitty gritty type of faith that said that it was a level of determination in their faith. I want to show you this. They leveled up in their faith. What do I mean by they leveled up? They couldn't get it on the ground level because there was a door. So what they do, they went to the next level and climbed up on the roof. I think maybe what we need is the kind of faith that has a determination in it that just because there's some resistance and someone's on the other side of the door that we don't just give up so easily and say, oh, God must not be in there. Because what if he is in there? I think we need to have the kind of faith where we are so determined to say, listen, God, I believe you're in this and on the other side, and I'm not giving up just because there's a closed door. I don't know if maybe you kind of struggled to have that kind of faith. I don't know why I prayed and just nothing happened. And so I just gave up. I wonder if some of us maybe had dreams that We really felt inspired to pursue maybe things that God had put in our heart, but because we didn't run into an open door, we decided to walk away. Now, listen, I'm not here advocating that you kick down every single door. I believe that there is a level of of wisdom and discernment to say, I don't want to go in a direction that God isn't there. But I also think that many times we don't have the kind of faith, the determination says, I'm going to level up and get on top of the roof. I can't get in through there, but you know what? I'll go up on the roof and I'm going to start to dig for it. What I guess I'm trying to say is this today. Maybe what we need is the kind of faith that is willing to dig for it. We need a faith that's willing to dig. We need a faith that's willing to get our hands dirty a little bit. We need the kind of faith that just says, well, I'm not just going to give up because I got to know. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you? you? Just, just, Just you process it. Do you have the kind of faith that says, I'm not going to stop praying for that person just because I haven't seen something happen in their life? Do you have the kind of faith that says, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to trust God anyways because I feel like he told me to go there. What kind of faith do you have in your life? Do you have the kind of faith that says, dig for it because that's what they did. They climb up on top of the roof and they start digging through the mud. They start digging through the, they start digging through the roof and, and they end up digging to their miracle. They have the kind of faith they dig to their miracle. And I think this is a great story. It's just so powerful. Like, I think, who doesn't love this story? And then I thought about it. I thought, I bet everybody in that moment was so excited when they saw what, what Jesus did, that paralyzed man, except for one person. The owner of the house. Come on, if that was your house, would you be ticked or what? Come on, let's be honest. Wait your turn outside. What are you doing? Can you imagine the dust starts falling in there and you're the owner of the house looking up? What, what's going on? You know, I have a theory. It's just a theory. But I have a theory that I actually think I know whose house this is. It's just a theory, and I, and I can't prove it. But I, I, I got a lot of evidence that I think. In fact, Jesus would hang out around Capernaum all the time. I actually got to visit uh, Capernaum just last December when I went to Israel. And I'm not saying that to brag, I'm just saying it was really awesome. But 
I did. I went to Capernaum. And they have, they have this one particular house that they built this huge structure over that you can look down and they preserve this one house. And, and uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but we learned this in other accounts that um, some of Jesus' disciples, I think, lived in Capernaum. And we learn this in Luke chapter 4. In fact, this is a, a cool story. In Luke chapter 4, it said that Jesus traveled to Capernaum and he went to the house of Simon Peter. You know, Simon Peter, his follower. He went to the house of Simon Peter. This is what it tells us in Luke 4. And when they went into the house, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was in the house and was really sick. Had a fever back then. You get sick, you have a fever, you could die. There's no antibiotics. There's a, and it says that Jesus went into the house where Simon Peter's mother-in-law was and he touched her and he healed her and he said, get up, woman. And she got up and then it says that she went and she started to wait on them and cook for them. And I wondered, I've always wondered if the main reason why Jesus healed her was because they needed someone to cook for them. That's what I've always wondered, you know? Do you know, I heard this once, and I don't know if this is true, I can't prove this either, but I, I heard that maybe one of the reasons why Peter denied Jesus three times was because he healed his mother-in-law. I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that before. And it says right after that, listen, it says in Luke 4, it says that they brought all kinds of sick people to him. He was there. And what's fascinating to me, and it's a little sidebar, but I just think it's 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 interesting that in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew tells us this account. And when Matthew tells us this account in chapter 9, he talks about them going to a house in Capernaum. But then it says that they brought a, some men brought a man who was paralyzed on a mat and Jesus healed him and never even mentions them getting on the roof and digging a hole through the top. But Mark's gospel account, Mark's account does talk about that. Do you know what most scholars believe? I don't know if you know this, but I learned this in Bible school. Most scholars believe that Mark's account of Jesus's life is actually Peter's account. I don't know if you all heard that. They actually believe that Peter actually dictated to Mark. It's one of the earliest accounts of the gospel, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that we have actually is Mark. And actually most scholars believe it was Peter who told Mark of his experience and everything that he had seen, which makes total sense that my guess is that Peter makes sure that Mark sticks it in there because I wonder if it wasn't Peter's house. I mean, he went home and that's where Peter lived. No, I, I'm not making this up. When I went to Capernaum, they had this big, huge structure that they built over top of one particular house that they actually believe was Simon Peter's house. Now, I have no idea how they know that. Sometimes it's tradition and history that's told. But they, and so I got into this big, huge structure. It was Capernaum. And you can see the foundation of actually all the houses in this town. It's crazy. And, and, I, and you go up into the structure. And what was kind of so ironic today is, you know, there's no roof on it, and they built this structure, and all you can see is you can see down in the living quarters from up top of it, and it has this glass thing that just covers an opening that looks down into the house, and I, I was standing there thinking of the perspective of these guys that would dig through the roof so they could lower someone to see Jesus. And I thought about how, how they probably showed up at the house, and they didn't expect to have to dig like, like they were going to the house like everybody else. And they're carrying this guy. And I thought, I bet they didn't go to the house expecting to dig. I bet they didn't go to the house with a bunch of tools. Because when we picture that they dig 
through the roof. We're like, all right, hey, give me the sawzall, right? You got the DeWalt, whatever, like, come on, we're just going to cut right through the tile and do that. No, and I got this perspective that if they didn't come to that place expecting, but they weren't going to leave until they saw what God was going to do and what they believed that God would do, they get up there, they have to use their bare hands. And they got to dig through the mud. And I thought about how that's not what they expected when they got there. And I thought about how in life, isn't that how it goes for us? That so often we go into situations and we never expect them to go the way they go. You, you went into a situation, you said, I said I do. I never expected to be hurt by them. I never expected I'd be raising these kids by myself. I never expected that we would have to sell our house or went into foreclosure. I never expected we'd get laid off. I never expected. And sometimes when we're going to meet Jesus, we got this expectation that everything's going to be perfect and everything's going to be easy. But I'm here to tell you that it's not always going to be that way. And this is where faith lives. Faith lives in the intersection of life between your situation and the expectation that you had in your situation. And maybe what we need is the kind of faith that's a digging faith. Do you have a digging faith? Or do you have a polite faith? I, I, I don't know. I guess, I don't know. I prayed and I guess nothing happened. Do you have a digging faith? We're not leaving here. I'm getting into the house one way or another. I don't care if I have to dig with my bare hands. I've got a digging faith because there's something I believe that happens with God. When we have that kind of faith, there's something they, they may not have had a way, but I want you to hear this. Their faith made a way. Their faith made a way. I guess I'm asking you today, does your faith make a way for you? I want you to process that. Does your faith make a way? Their faith made a way. And here's why this is so important and why we need to hear this, because sometimes we have we have lived with some wrong theology. We, we, we Here's what most of the time as Christians, we think we think, uh, um, I, I have faith. I'm waiting for God to make a way. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Y'all remember that song? If you've been around church for a long time, I'm not even going to sing it. Don't even ask. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. That we, we can sometimes have, listen, this, this thought about our faith. Well, I got faith. I believe God. So I'm waiting for God to make a way. I'm waiting. All right, God. Make, God's the one that has to make a way. And I believe that God can make a way. But I just wonder if sometimes we're waiting for God to make a way and God's waiting for some people to have the kind of faith that will dig and make a way into their situation. I know some of you look really confused. You're like, I don't understand. I think about the Israelites. You remember about Moses and, and about how, how he's supposed to lead the people out of Egypt. And finally, when, when he gets a yes, and finally when they head out and and God leads them with a, a cloud by day, and all of a sudden they, they, they travel. And where do they end up? They end up in front of a closed door, the Red Sea. There's a Red Sea in front of them. There's no way to get to the other side. And there's mountains all around. And there's an Egyptian army that's pressing in. They change their minds. We want our slaves back. You know what Moses said? This is Moses. This is his faith right here. Moses turned around, the Israelites are freaking out. Closed door, no way to get through. And Moses, in that moment, he's like, wait, stand firm and see the deliverance of God. God's going to make a way. You know what Psalm 77 verse 19 says? I love this, this verse describing about God making a way. It says this, uh, your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway that no one knew was there. Here's Moses. 
right? Stand firm. See the deliverance of the Lord. Just wait and watch and see what God's He's going to make a way through the sea. There was a way through the sea already, but they weren't going to see it if they stood and watched. Because here's what God said to Moses. As soon as Moses, imagine Moses, he's like, he's like a pastor at church. Stand, just wait. But I just look and watch. You watching? Just watch. You need to watch with faith, but watch. You watching? And, it's, and then nothing happens. And then it says, this is so cool. In, in verse 15 and 16 of Exodus 14, it says, The Lord said to Moses, here's what God spoke to him. He said, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. I'm like, mm, they can't swim that well. I don't, I don't know what you mean. He said, tell the people to get moving. Look at this, verse 16. Here's what God said to Moses. Pick up your staff. Raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water, Moses, so that the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. God, we're waiting. God looked at Moses and said, why are you waiting? He said, hold your staff up over the sea. Divide it so that people can walk through. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying there's a difference. Sometimes we need to recognize that our faith is intended to make a way. And sometimes we just sit around and go, ah, I pray I'm waiting for God to make a way. And God looks at Moses and said, Moses, what do you got in your hand? You remember that staff? You remember that stick? Just wave it. Over the waters, wave your magic wand over the waters and watch it part. I was thinking about this moment. Here's Moses. God says, wave, wave your wand. And all I could think about was Harry Potter. <laughs> How many of you like Harry Potter? Raise your hand if you like Harry Potter. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now. <laughs> What's wrong with people? So, so I, I, I'll let you in on a little secret. Pastor Zach, your campus pastor in Life Office, he loves Harry Potter. He loves it. I don't know some of you like it. It's awesome, right? He loves Harry Potter. I don't like Harry Potter. I, like, I, I had never even seen Harry Potter, but he would talk, oh, it's just a, he's got the best. He was like, I've got all 17 DVDs or whatever it is. And I think there's like a new one coming out next year, Harry Potter and the Senior Citizen Center. And it's like, like come on, can we put this to bed already? And and I know some of you are like, listen, I just want you to know as your pastor, like I don't watch Harry Potter because I know you want somebody to preach to you that, that is pure of spirit. And, and, um, and so we never, not in our family, we didn't watch it. And Pastor Zach's been on me. He's like, come on, man, I'll let you borrow him. You guys got to see Harry Potter. My, my wife and my, my girl's like, come on, we should see those movies. And, and, and so finally I was like, all right, all right, give me the movies. I, you know. And, um, and I started, I, I started, I could only get through the second one. I told him, I was like, dude, I can't handle this anymore. Like, these are not my kind of movies. I mean, if you like, it's like fantasy movies are not my kind of movie. You know, where it's like, that cannot happen. Right? That's not my kind of movie. I like realistic movies like Mission Impossible, <laughs> like the Born Identity. I, I'm talking about movies of things that really happen. And, um. Uh, and so it's, it's not my favorite kind of movies. I think we got through like three of them and uh, I haven't been able to go back. But I will say this, I was, I was watching Harry Potter and, um, and, and all of a sudden it, it hit me, even though it's totally fantasy, that, that there was a message of truth in the story of Harry Potter. 
This might be shocking to some of you that have boycotted Harry Potter and wizards and and uh, that's fine. There's a, there's a message of truth that I found in it because Harry Potter, if you don't know the story, he was born into a wizard's family, but his parents got killed. And, and so he grew up with some normal people. I don't even know what they call them. They got some weird name for them, whatever. Don't tell me because if you know it, that's embarrassing. All right. And, and, and so he grows up there and, and every once in a while something crazy happens, but he doesn't know, understand it. And then finally, he reaches an age, he gets invited to come to some magic school where, where he's going to be trained in this, this wizardry that he has. And before he goes to school, he's got to buy a wand. And so he buys this wand and he goes to school and then they teach him in the school how to, that's a, you know, they teach him how to do all these ma magic spells and these things with the wand. And, and even though I, I know that stuff's evil and I know you're, you know, inside you're like, I don't see the connection, Pastor Tim. But what I realize is this, it made me think about how much as Christ followers that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling inside of every single one of us. And yet we walk around so defeated, like, like there's no power inside of us and maybe it's just that we don't have the kind of faith that's ready to dig for it that we don't have the kind maybe we don't know how to tap into the power that God has placed within us for his purpose and so we're like ah, I guess I guess God's not in there and we walk away and that's that's not what they did these 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 men they there was something about their faith that made a way that speaks to me about my life and about my situations. I pray it speaks to you about your life and your situations that you've lost faith. They made a way with their faith. And it tells us in Mark chapter two, verse five, I, thought, I don't want you to miss this, it's so good. As Jesus sees them lowering this, this guy, interrupting his message, says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. I, I wanted to ask you, maybe they could leave that verse up for a moment. When, when Jesus saw whose faith, whose faith did, they, did he see? He saw the man lying on the mat that couldn't walk. Did he see his faith? No, Jesus said, or Mark tells us that when Jesus saw their faith, he was moved to do something. And I couldn't help but think, I, I wonder if Jesus isn't waiting for some of us to move based on our faith. I wonder if he's not waiting for some of us to have the kind of digging faith where maybe we will, we will do things on behalf of people that we have around us that have little or no faith at all. What if Jesus would move in the lives of the people that you have in your family People that you have at work, people at school, people, friends. What if he's waiting and he would move and though they may not have any faith? What if your faith moves Jesus to move? What, what if you got people around you that, that stopped believing a long time ago because of something that happened? Or God didn't answer a prayer that they prayed? Or somebody that's been hurt by someone else in a place of authority or... Or, or somebody who's just gone through such incredible pain that they've said, how can there be a God out there? And they have little to no faith at all. And I thought maybe this paralyzed man who had been paralyzed for so long, maybe he just said, there's no hope. But here some guys come with some faith say, listen, we got faith for you. And they go to the house and we're not leaving until we dig through the roof of the house. And I'm just wondering, are there people in your life? 
Are there people in your life that can't walk spiritually? They have no spiritual walk. Who do you have in your life that can't walk spiritually? That maybe you and your faith that you would say, you know what? This Easter, I'm going to bring them to meet Jesus. You have an opportunity in two weeks. You know, more people are likely to respond to an invitation to go to church around Easter than they are maybe any other time besides Christmas. People that, you know, always say no, always say no. Hey, let's just go with the law of averages here. Let's have the kind of faith that says, I know they've said no 10 times, but maybe it took 11 times to get them to Jesus. And though they may not have any faith to get there, I got faith for them. So I'm going to say, you need to come with me. What would it look like for us to bring people to Jesus? To have that kind of faith. A digging faith. Do you have a digging faith? And the truth is this. When, when they lowered the man and Jesus saw their faith, he looked at him and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. I'm thinking if I'm the paralyzed guy, I'll be like, wait, wait, wait. What did you, what'd you just say? My sins? I didn't come here about my sins. I came here about my legs. What do you mean my sins are for No, no, no. You meant my legs. Let's try that again, Jesus. You meant my legs. My legs are healed. I've seen, I've heard you did this with someone else. Like, no, 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 no. What do you mean my sin? And here's the simple truth that you need to understand today. Is that God will give you what you need more than he'll give you what you want. And God cares far more about your spiritual condition than he does your physical one right now. And I know that's hard because all we can think about is our physical situation, our emotional situation, the marriage situation. And, and, and so sometimes we come to God and we say, God, I need you to fix this. And God, my boyfriend, let it, I really want him back. And you're praying. Can I just tell you something? God may not give you some of the things that you want because he needs to give you something even better. He's going to give you what you need. So listen, some of those situations where you said, I want this and I want my boy. God's like, no, no, no. I don't want that dude in your life. There ain't no way I'm answering that prayer. I want this promotion. I've been praying, God, we could really use this promotion. And, yeah, I know, but, but God might be thinking, yeah, but that promotion is going to cause greed to well up inside of you. And it's going to mess up your entire life and your home life and your spiritual life. So there ain't no way I'm going to give you that. See, sometimes when we come to God, we think we need this, but really it's what we want. And what Jesus will always do is he'll press beyond what we want to what we really need because Jesus could have healed this guy's legs in that moment and that would have been great for a moment. But listen, I think Jesus knew I don't want him just walking in this earth and I don't want this guy to walk into eternity separated from God. So I'm going to address something that is even greater than that and that is his spiritual condition. And in that moment, that's when he speaks and he says, your sins are forgiven given I wonder if some of you came to church today expecting one thing from God but God's going to do something else you came today expecting God's going to fix the situation but instead God is speaking into your situation and said no I want to give you a new perspective I want to give you a level of faith it's time to level up to a new level of faith it's time to get your hands dirty it's time to start digging in your faith it's time to show some determination in what you're going through because I'm doing something in it it's crazy because because in the story like the Pharisees are all around and they actually are are offended that Jesus forgave the man's sins and they're, they're so offended they say wait a minute wait, wait, wait you're just a man only God can forgive sins and so Jesus does something really cool he ends up healing him 
I wondered if they never said anything that Jesus would heal the man. Personally, what I, what I know of Jesus through the gospel accounts, I think he was going to heal him. He has compassion. He sees people hurting. I think he would have healed him. But he first had to address something more important. And so they're all thinking, man, who are you to say that you can forgive sins? And I love what Jesus does in this moment. He just uses this, this moment. He says, he says, so that you know that I have the authority, I'm going to now show you my power. See, they want to see a sign. They want to see the power. We've heard this. They want to see that to prove it. And But here's the thing that Jesus has that is far greater than a power to do a miracle. Jesus has authority. He has the authority to forgive sins, and he has the authority to heal the man. Listen, there's something you need to understand because this is where it intersects your faith. If you would understand this truth, it's not that there was a man named Jesus that had all kinds of power. What you need to know is that there is Jesus, the Son of God, who had authority over sickness, authority over disease, authority over all these situations. And here's what you need to know. If you are in Christ, that authority dwells inside of you. So we need to know that the story of Easter is not a story about a sign or a miracle of Jesus getting out of the grave. Jesus proved it when he was alive. He raised three people to death from death life. Jesus didn't need to prove that. What he did with Easter is he showed the whole world, I have authority over death. I have authority over the grave. I've got authority over it. And if we can understand what it looks like to have the kind of faith that we operate in that kind of authority, it would change everything. Do you have a digging faith? So what's my faith based on? It's based on the authority that I've been given from him. That's what it's based on. So I wanted to inspire you, challenge you. I just believe today there's an opportunity for us to respond. Would you all stand to your feet right now? Both our campuses, would you stand to your feet? Would you just pray with me? Because I just believe that the Spirit of God is here today. And I believe that God wants to do something in your life. Would you just bow your heads and just pray in this moment? Father, we come to you, God, believing that you, that you are in this place. And God, I speak to every situation. I speak, Father, to low faith right now. I speak, God, into people's lives, God, where they have given up on dreams. They've given up on believing in you. They've given up trusting in you. God, I speak to that right now. And I pray, God, that you would infuse us with a digging type of faith, the kind of faith that is ready to level up. Father, I pray that today that we would not leave here today without leveling up in our faith, without coming to a new place, a new understanding of, of the power of God that is in our lives, that is available to us. I pray that our faith would make a way. I pray that our faith would make a way in our lives. And so we speak with authority. Come on, I think sometimes what we need to do is we need to praise God in the authority that we have. Sometimes we need to sing. We declare that nothing is going to hold me. That, that God has set me free. Come on, sing it.